thank you, Father, for our blessed Savior. Thank you for uh, His purchasing of our salvation with His blood. And we pray that you would help us to live for Him who died for us. And specifically this morning, we ask for your help as we think about how we can better share the gospel with the people that are close to us and who are apart from your intervention heading toward an eternity of condemnation under your wrath. And so we pray that you'd bring them out from under that through the power of your gospel and through our testimony, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me just encourage you to be praying for the people that you wrote down uh, several weeks ago, about five weeks ago now. Um, gave you a card for you to write down three or four people within your circle of influence that you already know and uh, for God to give you opportunities to, to share the gospel with them and for God to open their hearts. And um, I think that would be a good thing to, to be praying in that way and then watching how God will work through that. Well, this morning we want to begin by reading the two uh, passages there on our handout. So would someone read Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7? All right, and then the next one, Second Timothy three fourteen. All right, so Paul there talking to Timothy, and both of these passages give us the grounds of our hope and our thankfulness, and and they also encourage us to continue on in what we have learned and become convinced of. So we want to focus on that today. We want to be uh, reminded of the things that you have already been convinced of, and we want to continue to answer the question, "What is the message?" Two weeks ago, we asked, "What is the question, or what is the message not? What what is not the message?" And uh, last week we began by looking at what is our message, and we said that that this is the heart of evangelism. It is the key that we must uh, to to sharing the gospel. It is something that we must communicate. Uh, we could have everything else in life all buttoned up, but if we didn't give them the message, then we have have not done our responsibility. And so we need to understand the gospel if we're going to be able to effectively give the gospel. And so we want to um, continue to, to look at that question and, and think about the answer to that. What is our message? Last week we looked at the four key points of our message or the foundation stones of the gospel and we we said they were God, man, Christ, and then our necessary response. So God, man, Christ, and response. God is the holy and living creator. Man, we, as man, we are the sinful creation. And Christ is the merciful redeemer. And, and he is uh, to be Lord of our life. And then our response ought to be one of repentance and belief, that we should turn from our rebellion and live God's ways. So these foundation stones are uh, helpful for us to just have some hooks upon which we can think about while we're walking someone through the gospel because sometimes we don't know where to go or what we need to focus 
on when we're talking to a person about Christ. What is it that we need to talk about? And these four things will help us and, and will help us think about God's character, man's true state, the radical cure that's needed, and then the response that follows. And this week we want to focus on how to communicate these points by using the, um, the, the outline of two ways to live. So let me pass some of those out. Just make sure you... I don't know if you've seen these before, but I found them to be very helpful. And this doesn't mean that you have to use these, uh, but this is what we're going to use just to, to think about them today. Again, just a, just a resource. Obviously, what you cannot get away from uh, is the Scriptures, but, but you can't get away from a track like this. But I do strongly recommend it, and uh, hopefully you'll see that today as, as we look at it together. All right, so we want to go out over the two ways to live track and just think through these points that are drawn out in there. And I think what you'll see is you'll see these four hooks that we're talking about, the four foundation stones, as we go through. And, um, and uh, so, so what is this? What is two ways to live? You see there in your handout, it is a memorable summary of the biblical gospel. It's a memorable, memorable summary of the biblical gospel. Its goal is to provide a way for Christians to learn the gospel and know how to express it clearly and thoroughly for yourself. And it's a way for Christians to share the gospel. And so it's just a good outline, a good um, basic structure for us to think about when we're thinking about the gospel. How we answer the question, what is our message? And there are pros and cons to using this gospel outline and any gospel outline, I would say. What, what do you think some would be some advantages to having some kind of a structure that you're going through as you're talking to somebody about Christ? What would be some advantages? Okay. So it kind of helps us to make sure that we're getting all the key components. Right. And we talked about some of those when we looked at what is not the message. You know, sometimes we move into, you know, politics and, you know, different ways of living and and all sorts of other things, and we think we're given the gospel when we're really not. We've, we've moved away from what is at the core of the gospel, and that's what we're trying to stay to. So this, this helps us stay on course. Good. Anything else? Okay. Get, it, you don't have to be so fearful that oh, they, you know, there might be something that I, I, can't, um, I, I can't express. It gives us confidence to speak out when the opportunity arises because we know where we're going. We know... Hey, the next step, and that, this doesn't mean we have to memorize this. By the way, we can have this in uh, alongside of us, you know, in your purse or in your pocket or something. And that way, if you have an opportunity to speak with somebody, you can just say, "Hey, can I show you something? Can we can we just look at this together real quickly?" Um, anything else? Uh, a couple a couple others. There's uh, obviously some of these drawings might might help uh, make things a little bit clearer. That is, it, it gives a picture in the person's mind and in our mind. When we think of these pictures, it kind of helps us uh, work through. Um, not, not critical to have pictures. Obviously, the Scriptures are written in words, not in pictures or not in both. Although I had a Bible growing up where it had both. Um, 
And then the two main advantages are on your next page there, primary advantages. It starts with creation, sin, and judgment and helps people with little or no background to understand the news about Jesus. One of the great advantages of something like this is that it's going to meet the person where they are. It's going to meet them where they are. So if they're struggling with the idea of maybe they're a Jew and they have lots of background about who God is, well, this this will help because it will affirm all those things about God, but now take them to the next step and help them to see their desperate condition that the law could not save them and that they need Christ. But it also could take someone who is you know, someone who hasn't been in church their entire life. And they don't know anything about God. They 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 know just what what God has written on their hearts, right? That God exists and that's about it. And even that they deny. Um and so this will bring them back to, hey listen, we are all creatures. We are all part of God's creation. Uh possible disadvantages, instead of asking you, I'll just tell you this one here might might lead someone to just do the gospel parrot fashion in other words you know just kind of recite it uh like like the old um style that was often used when i was growing up was the romans road and nothing inherently wrong with taking people through the romans road but sometimes we thought like we got them through the whole gospel if we could take them through the romans road and and the point is we need to actually explain these things we need to do it in a, a way that would be helpful for them to understand and uh, certainly point them to the Scripture is a valuable thing. But um, we, we have to make sure that we include the whole Gospel and not, not like, okay, we're, we've parroted the whole thing and now they've got it. And it's now their resp- responsibility to respond. Alright, so today as we focus on presenting two ways to live, our aim is to to help um, get us to think more carefully about the gospel and uh, to discover what we don't know and to be reminded about what we we do know. So let me just hand out a couple more of these. I just handed out a track to Jared. So I'm hoping he reads it. When you get a chance, okay. Um, and one of the goals here today is is to think through some of the the obstacles that might might come up when we're working through this. And the more familiar that you get with a a, um, a kind of a structured gospel presentation, is that you'll be able to put it in your own words rather than saying, "Man, I don't remember how they said it on page three. You know, what what exactly were they saying? What were they trying to get across? How do they explain it?" See, the, the more you, you get familiar with it, the, the easier it will be for you to, to work through it with others. So let me encourage you um, that, that there are a number of ways to learn on-the-job training, so to speak, when it comes to evangelism. One example that I heard about was a, a lady just said, hey, listen, we're, she went to an unbelieving neighbor and said, listen, I'm, I'm trying to, to think more carefully about the good news of Jesus Christ. And I was wondering if I could just work through that with you and kind of uh, I, I want to be better at being able to explain who Jesus is. Could, so would you allow me to do that? And she just worked right through the this tract here and and um, actually opened up the door for further conversation. And the key is that we want to apply what we're learning in our conversation so that uh, so that the, the gospel 
seed, the seed of the Word of God is actually planted in the person and, and then we step back and watch God do what He wants to do. Alright, so we want to go through this um, just section by section and um, we want to think about it, uh, each of the points, and then what we'll do is we'll finish by kind of uh, just thinking how they relate to one another because it's not just important for us to understand each point as if they're isolated from one another, like we talked about a little bit last week, we want to see how they're crea- how they're connected. How is uh, you know this first point connected to the the second point, and so on. All right, so let's uh, just take some time and and work through the outline, and, and I'll just ask you to read the first the first one and the paragraph that follows. So basically. We're on the green page there that's marked number one. And so you can just read read everything on those two pages for us and we'll follow along as you read. Someone want to volunteer to do that? Jared? Okay, so we start out with the idea that God, not the idea, but the truth, that God is the creator, that he is, by virtue of his creation of of us, he has the rights to us. He is our ruler. And uh, so there's this um, book here, this Two Ways to Live Leader's Manual. I'm just going to read a couple sections that... Uh, kind of expound upon some of these points here. So, first creation. In our world, there are many gods and many lords, as 1 Corinthians 8, 5 puts it. That is, when we start to speak of God with someone, we cannot be at all sure that the person has any idea which God we are speaking about. Right? Talk to a Muslim and talk to them about God. and Oh, yeah, I believe in God and that He is the ruler. 
and, and so on. So we have to be clear about, about who the real God is. One of the key ways the Bible identifies the true and living God is that He is the one who made everything, the creator of the heavens and the earth, that God is the creator who continues to sustain the world, tells us a lot about who He is, such as that He is all-powerful and that He is good and generous. It also tells us that the world and humanity is in a certain relationship to God, that of creature to creator. He rules over us and the world is our maker and there is thus no room for independence or self-government. Now, one of the things that you're going to need to address and maybe uh, determine when you're speaking to someone is where they are at. Okay, So if they already recognize this point, if they're agreeing with you on this point, then you can probably move quick, pretty quickly to the next point and maybe uh, highlight the idea of sin and their judgment that's going to follow. But if, if you can sense that there's some obstinance to the fact that God is the ruler, then you need to take some more time on it. And uh, so we, we had some passages on the handout from last week of some various passages that you can go to to show that God is the creator, God is the ruler. Isaiah 6, for example, Genesis chapter 1, uh, lots of, lots of uh, different passages and verses that show that God is the creator of all things. And you want to take them to those passages and drill this point into them. And, and again, this might not take place over one, one sitting. You know, like, I'm going to get through this today whether they understand it or not. That's not the point. And if they get stuck on something give, and, and they're willing to learn or willing to, to explore, then give them some passages to read and then come back, ask them to come back uh, with any questions. And then, then you can work on them with that. Once they get past that, then, then we'll move on to number two. <coughs> Rebellion. All right, so I want to read that for us. Sound it out. Rebellion, by rebelling against God, we 
All right, lots of good stuff there. Uh, one of the things that I like about the way that this is worded is that it is in the first person plural. We, us, this is how we are, that we are sinners. So instead of us as Christians saying to the non-believer, you know, you sinner, and, and certainly that's true, but it helps them to see that, hey, we're not living in some utopian sort of lifestyle that everything's all perfect and and we don't have any problems and the only problems in the world are outside of us type of thing but that hey we are all sinners and we deserve god's wrath and and that's the way that this is written that's i think that's a helpful way to share the gospel to others obviously when jesus shared the gospel he wouldn't have done this Uh, but for us we are sinners and we relate with them we were once children of wrath and um you know, like Paul says that the sin he lists a bunch of heinous sins, and he's he said this is the way that you used to live. Such were some of you. But you were lost, right? You were you were all those things, but then God saved you. And so the um, let me just uh, give you a little bit more on this. Most people understand with regard to sin. Most people understand sin these days as breaking individual rules, but in the Bible, the breaking of rules or commands is the symptom of a deeper disease, that we have all rebelled against our Creator. talked about this quite a bit last week. Most non-Christian people we speak to will not understand this because they have not stopped to consider that if God is indeed the Creator of all things, then He owns it all and He is the Lord of all things. And thus, He is owed all the glory and honor and power, as, as Jared read earlier, Revelation 4.11. The essence of sin is our refusal to give Him this honor, the, the, the reason, John Piper says, the reason that missions exist is because worship does not. God doesn't get the glory that He deserves. God doesn't have the glory ascribed to Him that He deserves around the world, and so we need to go and tell people. The problem with mankind is that they have rejected God. Is our rejection of Him, our rebellion against our good Creator, of which the individual acts or sins are expressions. The essence of sin is our refusal to give Him this honor. All right, any questions on the first two there? All right, good. Number three. Someone want to read that for us? What's the result of our sin against God? That's how the question concluded on number two. So, number three.
cut them off from themselves permanently. But since God is the source of life and all good things, being cut off from him means death and hell. God's judgment against rebels is an everlasting, godless death. This is a terrible thing to fall under the sentence of God's judgment. It is a process we all face because we are all guilty of rebelling against God. Is that it, then? Are we all destined for death and everlasting ruin? If not, for God's own miraculous intervention, he is. All right, and there you see the picture uh, of not man ruling apart from God, like in the second picture, but actually under God's wrath because he has rebelled against God. With his understanding of creation and sin, God's judgment is inevitable. God rightly punishes us because we reject him. We have defied his ownership of us. We have defied his rule over us and chosen other gods of our own making. He cannot and will not let the rebellion continue, for it is an act of violence, not only against his character, but against creation itself. Sin is destructive, and God will not allow it to go on forever. Note that if sin is not seen as an offense against God, a severing of a relationship, then judgment is reduced to something like natural consequences. So, God is the judge. Not only is He the ruler and demands for us to to submit to Him, but when we rebel against Him, there is a rightful judgment. Any questions on number three? All right, number four. Someone want to read... Someone want to read that? Okay, so you can see the tension mounting really through this story, and this is really the gospel story, that that we are rebels underneath God's rightful rule. We deserve His judgment, and and so we have this conflict. Like, what's going to happen? What what's going to happen to us? How how could we ever be made right before God? And that's really what you want the non-believer to be asking. What what can we do? And that's when 
this number four is helpful. It shows that Christ's death is the only way. Once we understand the Creator's rightful judgment of our rebellion against Him, the setting is in place for Jesus to step onto the stage of world history. God's Son became man and lived as mankind was created to, that is, ruling the world under God's authority. He thus did not deserve to die since death is the punishment for rebellion, but He chose to die in accordance with the will of His Father. His ultimate mission was to die to take the judgment that we deserve to stand in for us as our substitute and take upon Himself God's anger at our rebellion, both His divinity as God's Son and His humanity as the Son of Man are vital for His atoning death. For without His divinity, Christ's sacrifice could not be sufficient for the sins of many. And without His humanity, He would not be able to substitute for sinful mankind. Right? He had to be made flesh in order to, to uh, die because God as Spirit cannot die. And with... Uh, Note that without the background of God's rightful anger toward our sinful rebellion, Jesus' death doesn't make sense. Right? That, that, that might be a question you might want to ask them. Why is it that Jesus had to die? If, if they're minimizing their sin, number, number two and number three, that particularly number three, well, it really doesn't deserve an eternity in hell, does it? I mean, I've done a few things, but I'm no Hitler here. Okay? If they don't see the full weight of their sin and the judgment that they deserve as a result, then you might ask them this question, why did Jesus die? Okay, Because a lot of people actually believe that Jesus lived and that He lived a sin, sinless life. And so ask them, why did Jesus have to die? Jesus', Jesus death doesn't make sense apart from God's rightful anger towards sinful rebellion. Instead, it becomes at best some vague moral lesson about self-sacrifice, but really a strange lesson if it was not really necessary. In fact, there are people uh, who believe that, that Jesus just came to be an example for us and that He died as an example for us of how we should live. But what the Scriptures teach is that He was the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He was the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sins. As John says, not our sins only, but also the sins of the whole world. All right, any questions or comments? Number four, Christ's death. All right, number five. Someone read that for us, please. God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler of the world. Jesus has conquered death, now gives new life, and will return to judge. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, where does that leave us? God accepted Jesus' death as payment in full for our sins and raised Him from the dead. The risen Jesus is now what humanity was always meant to be, God's ruler of the world. As God's ruler, Jesus has also been appointed God's judge of the world. The Bible promises that one day He will return to call all of us to account for our actions. In the meantime, Jesus offers us new life, both now and eternally. Now our sins can be forgiven through Jesus' death, and we can make a fresh start with God, no longer as rebels, but as friends. In this new life, God Himself comes to live within us by His Spirit. We can experience the joy of a new relationship with God. What's more, when we are pardoned through Jesus' death, we can be quite
quite sure that when Jesus does return to judge, we will be acceptable to him. The risen Jesus will give us eternal life, not because we have earned it, but because he has died in our place. Well, where does all that leave us? It leaves us with a choice of only two ways to live. All right. So the resurrection is critical to a person understanding the gospel and accepting Christ. Uh, The resurrection is closely tied to his full humanity and his atoning death. His death would not have been effective apart from the resurrection. If If he stayed dead, he would be of no value to us. But Jesus lived and died and was resurrected as a man. That is, in bodily uh, in uh, we believe in a bodily resurrection. That's what the scriptures teach. And so now he he is set up to rule to rule over us as we were created to live. And although he died under God's judgment to bear the penalty of the sin that that we should have paid for, he was raised in vindication of his sacrifice. Death could not hold him because it ultimately had no power over him. And in fact, when he was raised from the dead, he actually proved his power over death. And he guaranteed that our death would not be final. Our physical death would not be final for all those who are in him. The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the resurrection time. Uh, and it will, there will be a time when all are resurrected, not just believers, but all, uh, even non-believers, will be resurrected at the end of the millennial kingdom and will be risen to be judged. And uh, so Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And for those who are in Him, they will receive this eternal life. And so that leaves us with choices, two ways to live. That's why this, this outline is called that, two ways to live. What, what are we going to do about it? Number six, someone want to read that for us, please? We are no longer rebels, but 
All right, so again, they could understand points one through five and um, and agree with the points one through five, uh, agree with those points, but if they don't make a proper response, they have not been saved. Okay, so that's why we need to urge them that this is serious. This is a, uh, this is a serious response that you must have to the gospel. Notice uh, at the on the blue part of the page under A, our way versus... God's way. Our way is basically a summary of points one through five. Okay, so you're just taking them back through what they should have picked up in points one through five, and uh, actually included in that is, is part B, that if you submit to Jesus, then then uh, He will be your ruler, and you will no longer be a rebel. Um, so repentance and faith flow from our understanding of the person and work of Jesus. The object of our trust is Jesus, because He died to win our forgiveness. The direction of our repentance, or we could say uh, submission, is toward Jesus because He now rules us as God. If Jesus is not Savior and Lord, then faith is nothing more than positive thinking and repentance is just a vague sense of unhappiness with ourselves. Okay, so if we recognize that God is our ruler, it demands our service, our submission to Him. Otherwise, it's just, you know, positive thinking and... and, uh, trying to be unhappy about the bad things that are going on in life. Well, I was hoping to have more time to talk about the connections between uh, all these points. And there is more to this, by the way. There's a couple more pages that I encourage you just to read through. Uh, This is something that you could hand to a person and let them read and ask them to get back to you uh, with any questions. It's something that you could walk through with them. Um, But the main thing is we want to be thinking about just a structure for the gospel. What are the what are the main points that we're trying to get across? Remember, God, man, Christ, and response. And you see all four of those in here, that, that God is the ruler, that, that we as sinful humans have sinned against our God and we deserve His rightful judgment. And yet Christ came along to pay for our place by dying and being resurrected. And the result is that we need to respond to that. And um, so whether you use this or not, um, I would encourage you just to be thinking about how to properly share the gospel with the people that you already know and then for a- asking God for opportunities to to give you um, just to meet new people and uh, and encourage them with with the most important uh, thing in all of their life which is to know to know God and his son Jesus Christ and to submit to him all right any questions or comments All right. Most of what uh, I wanted to say is is there for you on your handout. So if you want to uh, just read through that as well, it would probably be helpful for you just to be thinking about how those things connect. All right, let's pray and we'll ask uh, God's blessing on what we've looked at today. Lord, thank you for the gospel. It's always a joy to be reminded of it. Um, it, it's, it reminds us to the first time that we believed and it reminds us what our hope is, is is in now. It's not in our works. It's not in what we will do. It's not in uh, what we have done, but it's in what Jesus has done. And so we look to Him for grace, and we 
continue to trust Him, and we pray that You'd help us to trust Him even more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.